0: The time is now. Volume 3, Episode 37. This is Employment Law Now. I am your host, Mike Schmidt, the Vice Chair of our Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. It is the first podcast episode of 2019. Welcome back. That you laughed about. Well the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained. So for those of you who have been following and listening to this podcast, first of all, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you've been listening since we started this in 2017, you know how melancholy I get and uh, how nostalgic I get about the 80s and really the 70s and some of those old TV shows and old pop culture references. That was just another great one. Uh, thanks to John Sebastian for the great Welcome Back song, of course, the theme song to Welcome Back Cotter. Uh, if you are just stumbling upon us uh, and this is your first podcast episode uh, first of all welcome for the first time second of all where you been We've got all kinds of archived episodes uh, that you can check out on iTunes or on our website, employmentlawnow.com. We've had a great um, two-year run so far, and I hope to continue to educate and entertain just a little bit through this podcast series, talking about all kinds of things employment law related. This episode, to start our new 2019 year, is uh, is a jam-packed one. There's so much uh, I want to tell you. I hope you had a great holiday. I hope you had a great new year. I hope, like me, you are energized to start this new year. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to really have two of my segments focus this episode uh... be the focus of this episode i should say Uh, i'm gonna do a top five noteworthy now countdown sort of five cases that um, came about at really at the end of 2018, uh, as we're about to turn the page and start this new year, that I think are noteworthy. And then I'm going to go into uh, a top 10 list of the top 10 trends and challenges I think employers should be mindful of as we head into the new year. So here we go, and uh, yes, welcome back. <coughs> so noteworthy now, noteworthy now top five cases first case is a case called troutman versus time warner cable it is out of the fifth circuit court of appeals very interesting one the bottom line with this case is that the federal americans with disabilities act the ada does not require allowing employees to avoid traffic What? so here you had an individual employee who said you need to accommodate me because the traffic that i have is so stressful and so debilitating mentally for me that I need an accommodation in my schedule to the extent of being able to come in a little bit later, leaving perhaps a little bit earlier so that I can avoid the rush hour and the real crazy traffic. The court said, no, no, that's that's a little bit much. The ADA does not require allowing employees to avoid traffic. Interesting holding, um, we'll keep an eye on this and see if other uh, Federal courts come up with the same kind of conclusion. It'll be interesting to see if some state courts come up with the same conclusion as uh, state laws in the disability world tend to be a little bit more protective of disability rights and uh, uh, accommodation requirements than even the federal ADA. Uh, Can you imagine if this were the Second Circuit or a New York court here with the traffic on the Long Island Expressway? I mean, we'd all be uh, disabled under that definition if that was a holding that went the other way, at least here in New York in the Second Circuit. The second case Uh, that I think is noteworthy. Uh, It's called Eagle versus SMG Salt Palace, if you are keeping score at home. It is a federal case out of the federal district court in Utah, and uh, the gist of this case was the court holding that a delay uh, in returning an employee to work for a month constituted interference under the Family Medical Leave Act, under the federal FMLA. Well, what happened here? You had a third-party administrator and many companies, particularly larger companies, but not only larger companies, they like to have third-party administrators deal with leave requests, leave administration and in this eagle case you had a third party administrator that was not responsive to an employee who was trying to get information on how to get back to work and because the third party administrator was not responsive because the third party administrator delayed the employee's ability to return to work for a month the court held that that constituted fmla interference so to me not only is the holding in that case significant just in and of itself Uh, and shows you, I think, that you really need to be kind of timely, you need to be kind of prompt and responsive when it comes to employees, But it's also important to note that, again, this was involving a third-party administrator, so that all of you employers out there who do have third-party administrators don't think that you are insulating yourself from potential liability under the FMLA or under other leave statutes simply because you've essentially delegated or attempted to delegate the obligation to deal with employees to this third-party administrator. So you do, I think, still have an obligation, you the employer, to make sure that your third-party administrator is doing the right thing and doing things the right way. Case number three. It is called, if you are keeping score at home, Hustvet versus Alina Health System. This is another federal case out of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Here you had an employee who was an independent living skills specialist. And the court found that there was no discrimination and no retaliation under the Americans with Disabilities Act when that independent living skills specialist refused to take a rubella vaccine, and that individual was terminated for refusing to take the rubella vaccine. It's interesting, certainly this time of year when the flu is going around and it's uh, you know winter time, and some companies want to have their employees get vaccinated for the flu and various other uh, illnesses. But this was very fact-specific, and it's important to note that this was very fact-specific in terms of the holding. The court found that the termination or the requirement to take a rubella vaccine was, in this case, job-related and necessary. The employer wanted to avoid patient care providers like this particular specialist from spreading certain diseases to uh, the healthcare employer's client base. Her job, in particular, had her working with potentially vulnerable patient, uh, the vulnerable patient population, and she refused, just flat out refused, to become immunized to an infectious disease like rubella. So, again, very fact-specific. I'm not suggesting that every employer out there uh, could terminate an employee for refusing to be vaccinated. Um, but for those of you, particularly in the healthcare care industry, uh, it might be a good case uh, to take note of. Noteworthy case number four. It is Reef versus Assisted Living by Hillcrest. This is also a federal case uh, that just came out of the Eastern District of Wisconsin. Very interesting case. I've talked about this all the time, that you get very caught up uh, quite often when you're looking at statutes and whether the employer is covered by a particular statute, whether the employee has met uh, eligibility requirements on certain statutes. You need to be careful when it comes to management or HR making certain promises, giving certain assurances that a statute might apply when it otherwise doesn't. So in this Reef case, you had Human Resources giving assurances to an employee that she could take leave before she was actually eligible under the FMLA. HR assured the employee that she shouldn't have to worry about her job and that Human Resources would approve leave even after the fact, and again, before the employee actually was eligible under the FMLA, the court found in this case that by refusing to reinstate the employee after giving those assurances, even though the employee did not meet eligibility requirements technically under the FMLA, the employee stated an FMLA interference claim. I would suggest there would also likely be a breach of contract claim. So we all know that under the FMLA, there are all kinds of eligibility requirements. For example, the employee has to work X number of hours over the preceding 12 months. What if the employee has only been working for the company for six months? Well, as this case suggests, if HR is suggesting to the employee and assuring the employee, you no, know, you can go and take leave either for your medical condition, your serious medical condition. Uh, or for some other um, uh, reason that would otherwise be valid under the FMLA, even if you're not eligible, and don't worry, you'll have your job when you need to come back, well, that states an FMLA interference claim according to this court, and I would suggest, even outside the statutory framework, you might even have a breach of contract claim as well. Noteworthy case number five, to round off our top five noteworthy now countdown, it's an interesting case called Kenny v. Helix TCS, and it's actually being argued before the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals right now. What's so interesting about it? Here you have a Fair Labor Standards Act case, the FLSA, and the employer is defending an overtime claim under the FLSA by arguing that it can't be sued under the FLSA because it's basically running an illegal business. Say that again the employer is defending an flsa lawsuit by claiming that it can't be sued for failure to pay overtime because at issue is an illegal business here the company employer was furnishing security services to cannabis growers to a cannabis seller operation and the employer was claiming as a defense that the workers who were engaging in illegal work under federal law, because it's involving cannabis, which is an illegal controlled substance under federal law, uh, is not entitled, they're not entitled to overtime, because they're engaged in illegal activity. The first level district court judge denied uh, the motion to dismiss that case, and it is now being argued before the court of appeals, the 10th circuit court of appeals. Very interesting, some might say creative defense. I'm not so convinced it's going to be successful before the Court of Appeals. We've seen in other contexts that illegality on the part of the uh, aggrieved employees was not enough. To knock the case out, for example, uh, in the immigration status world, um, it's it's fairly well established that even if the employees suing for unpaid wages, unpaid overtime, uh, are not legal, uh, their immigration status does not prevent them from suing uh, under the FLSA for unpaid overtime or unpaid minimum wage. So it's an important case to watch. We will certainly do so and let you know uh, how things come out uh, with the Tenth Circuit after the oral argument. Uh, It's an important case, I think, because it's a potentially creative argument, but also it's important because it's involving this new cannabis industry um, where we're seeing a lot of regulation, a lot of debate, uh, a lot of uncertainty in some respects uh, with this new industry. Um, and this case will go a long way to either create some new uh, uncertainty. Uh, or knock down what appears on its face to be a potentially creative argument so they're my top five noteworthy now cases um, coming down the pike just before the new year What about some trends and some challenges for 2019? Well, I've got a top 10 list for you to think about. And while you're getting a piece of paper or you're opening up your notes section on your phone to jot these things down, there's a couple of real interesting things that I wanted to just bring to your attention. You ever hear the term ghosting? Ghosting? Well, uh, according to dictionary.com, ghosting is the act of one leaving suddenly without saying goodbye. Uh, It is the practice of suddenly ending all contact without explanation. Essentially, you become a ghost. You just disappear without any further contact, without saying goodbye. That's ghosting. Typically, when you've heard the term or when it's been used, it's been in the dating context where you've had somebody either on one date or multiple dates, and all of a sudden you never hear from the person again. They've been ghosted. Well, now we're starting to hear a little bit about that in the employment world. Um, Robert Half, the staffing agency, just put out uh, an interesting piece where it stated that it has seen about a 10 to 20% increase in ghosting in the employment setting over the past calendar year. What does that mean, ghosting in the employment context? Um, Well, it could mean ghosting employers on interviews uh, where you're not showing up after setting up an interview. It could mean that you are ghosting employers for a start date. Uh, when you arranged a start date for a new job uh, and you just don't show up, it could mean you're ghosting at the end of the employment where you've given notice, two weeks notice, whatever it may be, and you just stop showing up and now the employer can no longer contact you. So what does this all mean? I don't know. Uh, I like to say all the time uh, that employer-employee relations is about relationships. It is about relationships. A happy employee is a productive employee. That whole cliche continues to ring true. It's about communication. It's about relationships. But at whatever portion of the process, the hiring and application process, right through the actual employment relationship, the better you are as an employer in communicating with your employees, the better relationship that you have with your employees potential hires and your current employees, I think the less likely it is that you're going to have the kinds of employment-related problems uh, and claims come up uh, of the type that we uh, always talk about here. Second uh, interesting point that I want to just raise before we get into our top 10 list, um, I saw two very interesting surveys over the holiday break. And this is in the area of email etiquette and and really annoying work email phrases. Now, look, when we get to email and we talk about email etiquette, don't get me started. I could spend an entire podcast episode, probably an entire two, three, or five-part podcast series just on email etiquette and the things that make me crazy. I could do a top one list, frankly, and when you put reply to all on your list, that's really all I need. Um, I mean, who doesn't pay attention when you're sending the email? Why does the email have to go to the entire organization? People have no idea what you're talking about. People don't care. We have enough emails that we're receiving and having to respond to, and do you really need to reply to all? Don't get me started. Again, could be a whole episode. But anyway, I digress for a second. This is a couple of interesting surveys in the email etiquette and uh, communication Realm. The first one was a survey done by software company Adobe. It was a survey of a thousand US workers where they surveyed and asked, uh, What was the most irritating phrase that you believe is used in work emails? Uh, very interesting. The theme, I think, of the responses that they got, the theme was passive aggressiveness is something that people really don't like. Passive aggressiveness. So, what was the most hated, most irritating phrase? that these 1,000 U.S. workers um, uh, provided in this survey, the most hated phrase was, quote, not sure if you saw my last email, dot, 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 not sure if you saw my last email. Honorable mentions for most hated emails, most irritating phrases used in work emails. Number two, per my last email. Number three, per our conversation, And, by the way, if we're just parsing words, it may just be the use of the word "per" that people can't stand. Number four, sorry for the double email. Number five, uh, any updates on this? You're getting the theme. Again, it's passive aggressiveness. But, you know, if somebody would just respond to you the first time, if someone would just respond to you within, oh, I don't know, ten days from when you sent the email, Maybe you wouldn't have to be creating this passive aggressiveness. But I found it interesting that these were uh, the top uh, five or six or so uh, most irritating phrases according to this survey. Very quickly, the second survey that I read that I thought was quite funny uh, here, uh, there was a survey of 2,000 participants, um, a survey done by Glassdoor of the most hated office catchphrases. So this was not just. Irritating email phrases uh, its most hated office catchphrases the most hated catchphrase used in the office Touch base. Let's touch base. Why don't we touch base? Why don't you guys touch base? Touch base was the number one hated office catchphrase number two. We're on a journey We're on a journey Number three Game changer. Game changer. And number four, number four, can't wait to get started. So I don't know if you've used any of these. Or if you know people who have used these, I'm not really even passing judgment on what I think about them, I'm just passing along the information, don't shoot the messenger. Um, But that's what these 2,000 surveyed participants uh, stated were the most hated office catchphrases. Number one being, touch base. Do you have any others that you can't stand? Email them to me, send them to me, and I will share them with everybody on a future episode what are the most irritating phrases that you find in work emails what are the most hated office catchphrases that you hear people use all the time in your office send them to me i won't even use your name we can make it anonymous and i'll share them as i said uh... on a future episode so without any further ado now that hopefully you've gotten pen and paper or you've opened up your electronic notes uh... portion of your phone i want to give you uh top 10 of my trends and challenges that I think employers should um, keep an eye on for 2019. Not really in any particular order, but we'll just count down anyway. Number one is the area of paid leave. Whether it's sick leave, family leave, and the interplay between all of the various leave laws that are coming out, there are a lot of of laws that are coming out on the state and local levels in particular, not just on the federal side. So it's real important that whatever jurisdiction you're in, whatever state and local municipality you're in, you are keeping track and keeping abreast of not only what the leave laws are now, because so many started really in 2018, a bunch of new ones and new states are starting effective January 1, 2019. It's not only important to understand what leave laws apply to your jurisdiction, but how do they all intersect? How do they all interact with each other? The interplay of all of these is significant. Number two, trend and challenge for 2019: keeping abreast of the increase in minimum wage, or and/or the increase in the uh, salary uh, exemption threshold in your jurisdiction. Um, As you know, the United States Department of Labor is going to be coming up with its recommendation uh, early 2019 as to whether we're going to increase the salary threshold. But so many states, so many cities are taking matters into their own hands. And so in many uh, jurisdictions, January 1, 2019, represented an increase in both the minimum wage, either generally by industry, by um, geographic area within the state, Uh, as well as the salary threshold um, to allow an exemption under the state law, wage and hour law, the state wage and hour law. So if you haven't already done so, uh, take a look at what those new amounts are in your jurisdiction. Number three, trend and challenge for 2019. We're going to continue to hear a lot about sexual harassment, sexual harassment-related laws and training. Uh, A lot came about in 2018. I think you're going to start to see a bunch more. In fact, there are uh, several that are becoming effective in 2019, Uh, whether it's uh, obligations related to sexual harassment types of things, whether it's disclosure or non-disclosure requirements and settlement agreements, whether it's training obligations on your company. Here are some uh, phrases that I think you want to keep an eye out for third-party harassment we're going to see a lot about that hear a lot about that what do i mean when you have customers when you have vendors when you have people coming into your office onto your property they're the ones doing the harassing as opposed to a supervisor or another employee third-party harassment we're going to start to or continue to hear a lot more about that i believe in 2019. violations of the osha general duty clause I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into OSHA right now. Uh, one of our upcoming episodes, uh, very soon, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into OSHA. There is this general duty clause that puts a general duty on employers to have a safe and healthy work environment. And the extent to which OSHA is using the General Duty Clause to really police sexual harassment and other forms of harassment in the workplace, I think is going to be something uh, you'll be hearing a lot about in 2019 as well. Number four, reasonable accommodation. Reasonable accommodation, we heard about that a little bit in a couple of the uh, cases that I mentioned, a couple of the noteworthy cases that I mentioned at the start of this episode, but we are going to continue to hear a lot about reasonable accommodation. We're going to hear about it in the disability world, but I also think we're going to go beyond the medical disability. We're going to hear about it in the emotional and the mental disability. We're also going to go outside disability, and we're going to hear more about reasonable accommodation requirements in areas such as pregnancy, accommodation, religious accommodation. So we'll talk more about that in future episodes as well. But, you know, jot that down as a trend, as a challenge. Be aware of what the obligations may be in your particular jurisdiction, because again, this is one of those areas where the states and the local governments are doing a lot. Number five, criminal history, ban the box, and generally the application process. I think we're going to start to uh, hear some more things uh, as we move into 2019 uh, where more jurisdictions are banning more things, banning more questions being asked, whether it's about criminal history, credit history, salary history, Um, you're going to hear a lot more about that. For example, Connecticut, Hawaii, Suffolk County in New York on Long Island among other jurisdictions as of january 1st 2019 now have salary ban laws on the books so know your jurisdiction and be aware that this is an issue that is going to continue uh to gain some traction in 2019 number six uh and it's kind of related to the other ones but i i it's worth highlighting you know regulation uh generally regulation generally. It's not just about the cases that are coming down and the ca- and the courts that are making law, but how active the um, legislatures are. Not so much on the federal level, although we're going to start to see administratively a bunch of agencies do a lot of things in 2019, whether it's joint employment rules by the NLRB and the Department of Labor uh, that that's going to come real soon, whether it's, as I said a moment ago, the Department of Labor coming out with its propose new overtime exemption rules, um, whether it's the EEOC who has promised new wellness regulations, you're also going to continue to see your states, your local governments, um, continue to uh, enact regulation that affects the employer-employee relationship. So keep an eye out for that. Number seven in our top 10 trends and challenges for 2019 employee data protections from cyber attacks. Yes, you still have to worry about customer breaches, client breaches, but I think you're gonna also start to hear a little bit more in the way of regulation and in the way of court cases when it comes to protecting your own employees' data. The uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court just recently had a case uh, which held that employers have an actual duty to protect the data of their own employees. So continue to keep uh, your eyes and ears out for that. Number eight, does Title VII, does federal law ban sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination when it bans sex-based discrimination? We're hearing a lot about that lately. The Second uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, like the EEOC, say yes, it does. Title VII's ban on sex-based discrimination does cover sexual orientation and gender identity. Other circuit courts have not gone there yet. The Supreme Court will likely decide that issue. For some, It really doesn't make a difference, because in some jurisdictions you have state law, local law, already protecting sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. And many companies already include them in their policies, in their, you know, EEO policies, their anti-discrimination policies. But the discussion about gender identity, sexual orientation, and other sex-based discrimination issues is something you're going to be hearing a lot more about uh, in the coming year. Number nine, arbitration. Arbitration is still the rage, and it's not going away. The extent that people still want to use class action waivers, despite the Supreme Court recently saying that they can. How does an arbitration agreement have to be written? What kinds of things do you have to say? What kinds of power does the arbitrator have uh, according to your arbitration agreement? Those are the kinds of uh, issues that we're going to be hearing a lot more about. Um, Can you have arbitration of sex harassment cases? What are the consequences if you do try to force arbitration on sexual harassment cases? What about other kinds of harassment cases? So arbitration and the issue of arbitration um, will continue to be a topic of discussion. And then lastly. And this really does cover, I think, a lot of the other trends that I've mentioned on this list, but I also wanted to highlight this one in particular, and that is this notion of work-life balance. Work-life balance. Sure, minimum wage, equal pay, sex-based discrimination, um, salary salary history bans, those all do go to work-life balance. But I think you're going to be reading a lot more, hearing a lot more in 2019, about efforts of, whether it's the courts or really whether it's the legislatures in the various jurisdictions, coming up with new rules, coming up with new regulations to try to improve the work-life balance of employees. Very fascinating one. You may remember if you um, were listening to an episode toward the end of 2017 uh, where I was talking about the email curfew rule, Uh, the email curfew, part of a package of employment regulations out in France, where the concept was that France, uh, among other other new requirements in this work-life balance issue there in that country, said that employers are going to be prohibited from requiring employees to respond to emails when it's not a working hour. Most people said, well, you know, interesting concept, that's not going to get to the U.S. Very soon. Well, New York City, New York City, which again is California East to many people, the New York City uh, Council has just introduced a bill and has scheduled a hearing on this. The hearing is going to be on January 17th. uh, And the bill is uh, a local law to amend the New York City Charter and the Administrative Code of the City of New York um, regarding private employees having the right to disconnect from electronic communications during non-work hours. And so, what is the proposed rule? Well, let me read it to you. Very simple. It shall be unlawful for any employer to require an employee to access work-related electronic communications outside of the usual work hours, not including overtime, except in emergencies. And employers are required to adopt a written policy regarding the use of electronic devices to send or receive emails, text messages, and other kinds of uh, work-related communications, and advise employees that they have the right to disconnect. This is something worth following. Um, i do think it's going to be a trend i don't know if it's going to pass in new york city yet but it's worth uh... following it's worth keeping an eye on um, because it can significantly change the way we all do business i will uh... keep my eye on it and uh, i'll let you know what happens with the new york city hearing as you could tell though a little too much celebrating a little too much shouting uh... over the holiday and the new year's break has cost me a bit of my voice So. Before I go uh, any longer, annoying the hell out of you with this scrappy, scraggly uh, voice, um, I'm going to end here with that as my top 10 trends and challenges for 2019. Again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate you coming to the podcast, and I look forward to a great 2019. Welcome back, everybody.